Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Well, hello, folks. It is 31 degrees here in the Twin Cities. It feels kind of nice. But uh, as you just heard from Sloan Martin, there is snow in the forecast. Uh, so keep it here at WCCO Radio WCCO.com, because uh, it's changing. <laughs> um, I'll be live uh, at 6 a.m. tomorrow and 10.30 a.m. with Kylie Burse, who I'm sure will have the complete forecast on what is going on, because uh, it does sound like we are going to get hit again. But the good news is we're, we're coming out of it. I mean, at least when I drove here tonight at 6 o'clock, it was still a little bit light out. So we're gaining light a little bit every single day. Positive news, so that's that's good to know. Well, later this uh, half hour, we're going to chat with Sloan about some of the stories she's covered this week and some of the stories I've covered this week uh, as we both made our rounds. And then we're going to talk at 635 uh, with uh, Dr. Allison Galdis. She's an assistant professor in the Division of Infectious Diseases and Internal Medicine at the University of Minnesota Medical School. This is about the flu, and it is still really, really serious. Uh, I was at an event uh, that was supposed to be, and it was a very kind of happy event that, you know, a team that my daughter plays on is going to get to go to the state tournament. And half the conversation with the parents was just about the flu and how to avoid it and what to wipe down and what do you do when you get it and do you go right in. And anyway, we're going to get the lowdown on that and, and why exactly this has been, you know, such a difficult season. Also in the 7 o'clock hour, and this is really cool, we're going to join, uh, we'll be joined by Mark Jones, who's the Managing Director of the United States Olympic Committee. And he's going to join us actually from Korea to talk about how the U.S. team is doing. And there's been kind of some articles basically perhaps not bashing, but I would say criticizing or pointing out that the United States team, which had, I guess, the largest delegation of any country to go to South Korea, has had a lot of disappointments. Now, the games are not over, but I guess there was a big defeat in hockey, and there was you know, an allegation by the U.S. coach that the Russians were trying to run up the score. Well, it's the Russians. What do we expect? Uh, but anyway, uh, we'll, we'll talk to him about that. And I think, you know, to a certain extent, how can you predict there are going to be upsets? I mean, the, the, the woman who beat Lindsey Vaughn last night in the Super G, did, did you hear about this? She was a, a professional snowboarder who was using used skis or secondhand skis. Oh, no, no, no. She wasn't, wasn't, wasn't a professional. She is. Or she is, excuse me. She, so is, she, she snowboards is, and, and she skis. Yes, but her, her she main sport to... was. Snowboarding. Yes. Well, she is going to uh, participate in the right. giant slalom snowboarding event later this this coming week. Right. So she was she I, apparently I was I, I heard about this last night. I was fascinated by this story, and apparently she does ski sort of on her off days from snowboarding. Right. But she wasn't a medal contender. She wasn't someone right. who was really going to challenge anyone for a medal, and the defending champion had gone maybe 10 skiers before her and put down the time that everybody thought, oh, this is the winning time. She's the defending gold medalist. 
she's got it. There's no other person after her that's going to right. uh, challenge her. <laughs> and little did we know that Esther uh, uh, Ledesca. I think that's. I was just trying to get the the, the right. Pro- I think you. I think you nailed it, Esther Ledesca. I've been hearing it all all day and all last night. But Esther Ledesca from I believe Slovakia um, was the champion. She she ran the race. She ran it fearlessly from what you hear from the commentary. And I listened to the NBC commentary after the fact. The best thing was her reaction. Right, because she's like looking up there going, what? She was, she was in a daze for, about, for about five seconds. She's just looking straight forward. And then she sort of looks in the direction of the camera just with this look of, of uh, utter shock on her face. Right. It was right. incredible. Right, right. I mean, she really did look as if she's – is that a mistake? And then I, I saw her quoted as saying that she was wondering if they were going to add a few seconds onto her time. Yeah, well, she, she was, and, and the, she was these times say, are so close. Right. It, well, she she won by one one hundredth of a second, which is the close. smallest yeah. margin you can win by in these events. They only time them out by hundredths of seconds, and so I believe she was her saying. Check, I think is is what they're saying. Check, okay, check check, the, yeah. check Republic, and she uh, she was quoted as saying, "How did that happen?" Yeah, <laughs> that's what she said. That's what she asked. It's yeah, amazing. It, it, that is pretty amazing. But anyway, so you, there are stories like that that you have to love, no matter if you know. And who who doesn't want to root for Lindsey Vaughn? I mean, it, you know, here's this veteran. She's been through these horrific crashes. In that that promo for the Olympics, they show her knee, and it's just oh my gosh, you know, here's she's you know beautiful woman, such a fabulous athlete, but the knee looks like it's 130 years old, and. You know, I guess she said she made one mistake, and that's that's what's so tough about these sports is it's one mistake, it's seconds, and these people work so hard. Uh, you know, for this, some of these figure skaters, especially, you know that the the mind is playing tricks on them, and it's, it's it, difficult. It's interesting. The commercial. Have you seen the, her commercial for Bounty? Uh, the the yes, paper yeah, towel? yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you have someone with so many catastrophic knee injuries, and they put her on a slant. Yeah. <laughs> Where her ankles are sort of at yeah. risk. Like, is that the smartest idea to do yeah. that? Well, she's obviously a, a, an extraordinary athlete. I think she still has one more event that she can uh, uh, go two. after. Or two. two. Two more. She, okay, she will great. do the downhill, and I believe she'll do the super combined. Or okay. the, either, I see the Alpine or super combined later in the week. Right. but it's And it's, you know, obviously another challenge, too, with the Olympics is just the times, because it's 10 o'clock in the morning there, I believe. Actually. Tomorrow, it's... Actually, to be honest, I think this Olympics has done NBC, and I know a lot of people have been panning NBC's coverage. I think they've done as, as really as good of a job as you can because there are events that they are showing live in prime time, whereas you see this in Europe or if you or if you're going. Well, that's because NBC paid all the money, so the figure skaters are skating at nine thirty in the morning. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and there's nobody in the stands for some of the preliminary aspects of that that uh, team competition. Well, so you got to hand it to NBC because otherwise this would be all tape delayed and right. everybody would be having their heads. Right. Well, I think they did that for the figure skating. I think it's called also money talks. But anyway, listen, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by WCCO Radio's Sloan Martin to talk about some of the stories that she covered this week. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It's 617 on a Saturday evening. Wow, we're up to 35 degrees and snow is still coming. I know you've had that in your forecast, Sloan, but... uh, 
Stay tuned, I guess. Yeah, they're thinking it's also going to be kind of this wintry mix. Well, it might be ice accumulation, too. It just sounds kind of ugly all around, I think. Right. It's the ice. I mean, I love the snow, but and as somebody, my husband had a bad, bad accident on, on the ice, just you know, trying to snow blow and really wiped out, really took out his knee uh, in mid-January. And it's just, it's really, 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 you've got to be so careful, folks. And no matter what age you are, I mean, you really do. I am originally from Southern California, so I didn't grow up with snow and ice, and I still am extremely careful. Like, I can't walk on ice, an ice rink or anything, so I'm Right. I'm totally in his category. Absolutely. All right. Well, you, you had an um, interesting story that you covered, the business of romance. Yeah, that was kind of a, a theme for this week with Valentine's Day right. on Wednesday. And we had our U of M Carlson School quarterly report, and that was what they were talking about. And really the question was, why do we spend so much money on this holiday right. as Americans? And they put the ballpark, um, the Carlson folks, at – Around uh, $5 billion on jewelry alone. The wow. entire holiday wow. is upwards of $15, 16000000000 billion. So that's your cards, that's your candy, that's your restaurants. That's a lot. Right. That really adds up. But they were kind of focusing mostly on the conversation around jewelry. And it is such an economics-related question. Why do you spend so much money on something you don't need? Right. Well, the answer is just the emotional connection. Right. Right. And why do we do that? Why do we make the decisions that we do? And that's what it rests on is right. just emotion. Well, and I also think that probably still it's a big day to get engaged. I would think maybe people put down the money for the ring. Yes. They had a, uh, a, a co-owner from a jewelry store on and... She actually said that uh, Christmas was the bigger time to get engaged and even the bigger oh, time really? to okay. get jewelry, which I thought was kind of surprising. Yeah. And I, she seemed to think that um, it was kind of tapering off for Valentine's Day a little bit. Maybe people think it's a little cliched these days. I don't know if that's the deal. But obviously, it's still a huge and major holiday when it comes to buying jewelry. Right. And she talked about how uh, in the store, Wixen Jewelers is yes, uh, the course. store that it's it was. a wonderful store. Yes. Yeah. So they talked about how they don't make it any kind of like transactional affair. It's about how is this person going to feel when they put on this yeah. jewelry and really talking about, again, the emotion of it. And I'm not someone who regularly spends money that way. So <laughs> it was interesting to hear the perspective about what goes into the decision, both buying and selling something right. like that. Right. Well, you're saying I sometimes pick up a necklace at Target, <laughs> you know, which I that think makes is great. Me feel good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, which is great faux jewelry, but looks and obviously beautiful. But, you know, obviously for people who have money or else if they're sort of romancing somebody, I guess that's still thing, which is kind of cool. Yeah, they talked about how this is something that creates memories. You're not right. going to remember, you know, a sweater that you got, flowers die, chocolate right. gets eaten. But this, but it's good. It is. It <laughs> okay. is. I wouldn't disagree with that. Oh, well, that sounds like a lot of fun. You also went to uh, cover uh, a teacher's union event. And, yes. and they've got a proposal that I think is kind of interesting. Yeah, well, things are really ramping up right now. We've got the legislative session beginning right. on Tuesday, so things are going to be really active in the Capitol next week. And this is Education Minnesota, so they represent a lot of teachers. They are affiliated with the union, whether it's um, public schools, colleges. They represent a huge group of teachers that are kind of that um, 
vocal piece for them. And last legislative session, this was back in April, and this was a Republican-led initiative, and of course it is a Republican-controlled legislature. They wanted to change the structure of teacher licenses. They said, we're facing a shortage. We have people from out of state who can't really navigate this system. There's too many bureaucratic hurdles. How can we make this easier so people want to become teachers and not go through the rigmarole of what we have here in Minnesota? Now, these teachers from Education Minnesota said what they did was essentially lower the bar that your child might have a tier one teacher, which is the lowest uh, number of credentials they need, basically, and you might not know it. And it wasn't that way before. It used to be just kind of a baseline that they had to meet. And yes, they said that uh, the previous system did need tweaks and an audit found the same thing. It was audited and said this needs to be readjusted. But they said that this lowers the bar. And there was this one teacher I remember, Dennis Drawn, who's a social studies teacher in the uh, District 196, Apple Valley, Eastview, or Apple Valley, Rosemont, and Egan. And he's African-American. He said it was insulting to have them say, well, we want to have more minority teachers, but then essentially lower the bar. And he said that, you know, we noticed that and it's not a great message to send. And they said that it's not so much a shortage. It's a retention problem. It's because of pay. It's because of lack of support. It's because of having to put their own funds into their own classrooms and not really reaping much of that back. So really calling for getting away from that tiered system that they recently put in and putting more attention on how teachers are treated right. uh, every day. So it was well, an interesting discussion. Yeah, we also saw sort of the end of the St. Paul teacher strike, and we're just beginning to get some of the details there. But one of the things they wanted really, the, the pay, yes, that was on the table, was a 1% raise, which, yes, 1% is 1%. But really it was the support issues and for dealing with issues like English as a second language. And I was stunned to see in the St. Paul schools – more than 120 languages are spoken, which is just, I, I, I just was... That is mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing when you think, and I guess a lot of them might be dialects or whatever, but they have to deal with all of that. So, And that was what they came to, is that when you have you know, less preparation, when you could technically get your license by meeting this one benchmark as opposed to what right. it previously was at, that's going to hurt students, particularly immigrants, because sometimes when you don't have that kind of cultural literacy, you might just think some kid is not smart enough when right. really they just don't understand the language and are just Absolutely. kind of sorting things out here. Right. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens because the legislative session, you're absolutely right, starts on Tuesday. And I one of the events I went to this week was a press conference with all the legislative leaders and including the governor, um, the uh, House Speaker, uh, Senate Majority Leader, uh, Senator Gazelka, uh, the two minority leaders, Senator Bach and um, uh, Representative Melissa Horton. And they all were saying we really like each other. Oh, that, they have a we selfie really, to prove we, it. Yeah, too. I, I know they took and and Senator um, or Representative Speaker uh, Doubt took a selfie with himself and the governor. Super awkward, <laughs> as my kids would say. <laughs> awkward. Um, it just was not the most relaxed looking picture. And certainly, they, they really have the, the comments that those two have wielded towards each other over the past couple of years have been. More than super awkward. I mean, there certainly is a lot of tension there. So it really is going to be interesting to see what they can possibly accomplish. One of the things where they did seem to be on the same page of all things was on the issue of sexual harassment in terms of uh, having new standards at the legislature for training 
And, you know, you, you work here. We all work here in this room, and we all have to go through this extensive training. In fact, now I'm just okay, – note to self, I think I'm behind on one training that I've got to do. Uh, but we do a lot of training here in the area of sexual harassment. We do all these videos. You've got to do it. Otherwise, you can't stay on. And uh, they, they need, they're talking about more training. But also I thought it was really interesting that Representative Hortman – basically said, hey, it's not just us here at the legislature that needs some improvement. We need to look at the laws for all of Minnesota so that all people in all workplaces are protected. And I thought that was interesting because there seems to be perhaps be a little, maybe a consensus there, but it wasn't clear. They, uh, the um, executive branch came out with a report just a couple right. of weeks ago, and it looked at each of the 23 agencies and how many complaints there were and kind of really addressed it. So I think it is encouraging to see the legislature try and do the same thing, especially because that was really where this originated in those publicized reports and those allegations that led to resignations and really kind of blowing up this whole conversation. But that is such an important aspect of it, too, is the people and the women who and victims who don't have that kind of power. If they are low-income people, if they are uh, not known names or elected leaders, what is their recourse? And uh, maybe taking a look at those laws would be able to help people who don't have that same kind of power. And and I do think more people are coming out. And I have spoken with Representative Erin May Quaid, who's one of the uh, representatives. She's a younger representative from Apple Valley. And she was one of those who came forward. And, uh, you know, it's it's like anything. You you start out new. You're you're, you're sort of maybe you're younger. you're, You're sort of at the bottom rung. And she was getting this, and she came forward. And I think more and more women probably will, and, and as men as well, because men can be victims here as well. But there does seem to be some consensus for that. But on the issues of, of like, teacher licensing and, you know, dealing with, with expanding, you know, early childhood education options and infrastructure, there's so many things, and you wonder – how are they possibly going to get to do it? <laughs> Things left on such a bad note last oh, I know. time, and it carried over. Can I call it the off season? Yes, I'm going to call it the off season. <laughs> it carried over into the off season too, where just tensions really high. Yes. So I have the same questions as you. Is yeah, you can have take an awkward selfie. But uh, how is that going to translate to really trying to do things together? Right, and, and there's also tensions between the governor and Senator Bach. You know, they're both you know, DFLers. And then you've got Senator Gazelka, who's sort of in the middle, who's sort of in a very kind of soothing and I think might be the person to kind of bring something together if there's some kind of deal. But anyway, I just I just was there going, "Uh uh-huh, let's see what happens. (laughs) And I don't want to, you know, immediately dismiss any possibility of people working together, but it was a little tense. So, well, so thank you so much. This was fun. And um, you're almost off. I am indeed, but we'll uh, check in next week. Absolutely. Great. Great. All right. Thanks, Sloan. Uh, All right. That was Sloan Martin from our WCCO newsroom. Great to chat with her and get her perspective on uh, different stories that you cover. And it is kind of fun to just kind of talk and kind of get get a a reporter's perspective on what it was like to cover something and what was fun, what was good. Lately, I haven't been covering, covering fun stuff. Maybe can I just like put in a request? Fun stuff. WCCO TV, Simon Desk, fun stuff. I don't know. I got the yucky stuff. Uh, but that's all right. I can deal with yucky. All right, folks. Um, coming up in this half hour, we are going to talk with an expert uh, about the flu. And it, it really is. It's tough. I, I notice we've got our wipes. Yes. Our sanitizing wipes right here. Uh, I didn't 
oh, Jonathan's got his own. I've got my own. <laughs> anyway, it's just it's something I, I don't think I've ever been as conscious as I have this time of, of year or this this time or this particular season because I think so many people I know, including people I've known for years who are very healthy, who never get sick, have gotten so sick. So we're going to get some insight into that. But break, and we want to give you some weather because there is a lot going on in the forecast. It is 635 in the Twin Cities, Esme Murphy, along with uh, producer Jonathan Lowe, until 9 o'clock. Talking the flu season, you've heard about it. I'm sure you probably know somebody who is sick because it seems like an awful lot of people I know are sick uh, where I work, uh, where my kids go to school. It's been a really tough, tough season, and I've mentioned this on, on another show um, I've had a few accidents in the family. Everybody's okay. But I actually have been in the emergency room uh, a couple of times um, in the past month. And it was uh, really startling to see people come in looking so ill and obviously uh, with, with flu-like symptoms. Dr. Allison Galdis is an assistant professor in the Division of Infectious Diseases and International Medicine at the University of Minnesota Medical School, and she is joining us now. Dr. Galdis, thank you so much. And and am I pronouncing your name correctly? Yes, you're right. Uh, Thank you. It's it's good to be with you. Yes, absolutely. All right, Dr. Galdis, from where you sit at the University of Minnesota Medical School, what is your take on, on this flu season? Well, certainly, as you alluded to, this has been a very challenging flu season, um, not only in Minnesota, but really across the country. Um, we are seeing numbers that are rivaling those seen in 2009 when the H1N1 epidemic occurred. Um, and these were seeing uh, elevated numbers of patients visiting their healthcare providers, both, both in the outpatient clinic and in the emergency department. Um, and unfortunately, we're seeing, you know, a, a large a large number of people becoming very ill, um, and and some have unfortunately died due to this um, really somewhat unprecedented uh, season. All right. Now, let me ask you: Is it just is it just sort of more people, or are the people getting sicker, or is it both? Yeah. So um, certainly, there are more people this year. Um, The statistics that are kept um, by the CDC look at numbers of persons who are hospitalized with confirmed influenza um, and also persons who are visiting their outpatient clinics and complain of flu-like symptoms. Um, And those numbers are as high as they've been um, for the last 15 years during which data has been uh, kept. Um, so certainly we're seeing high numbers of individuals with flu and flu-like symptoms. Um, in terms of complications, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit early to say how this year stacks up against others. Um, certainly with the high numbers of people with flu, there will be also high numbers of persons with complications. Um, those complications tend to lag behind the initial stages of the outbreak. Um, So we're currently just over halfway through a typical flu season, which can be anywhere from um, 11 to the maximum of 20 weeks. Um, So So we're only halfway through? Well, um, (laughs) some some encouraging data this past week um, with numbers fortunately starting to level off. Um, 
in previous weeks, it seems like the numbers of persons presenting to the hospital and having confirmed flu were, were growing week by week. Finally, now we're seeing that those numbers might be plateauing. Um, so hopefully the, the duration of the flu season won't be uh, towards that 20-week mark. Wow. Um, but it's still, it's still a little bit early to say. Um, but certainly some of the uh, estimates with regards to complications um, will, will likely be more accurate later in the outbreak. Initially, um, it, this doesn't necessarily seem to be a more lethal flu virus, um, but it certainly is uh, widespread, um, as I mentioned. All right. And um, in terms of, um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion, a lot written about the vaccine, study about us out of Australia, I think said it was 10 percent effective. I've seen some suggestions that it's slightly higher than that. Uh, studies in the U.S. maybe 30 percent. Then I've seen something that said basically it's more effective in children than it is in adults. Walk me through that. I, I mean, is that possible to have, a, you know, a, a flu shot or a vaccine that's more effective in, you know, one demographic versus another? Or are we just, are we just weaker than kids, which is <laughs> definitely true? So the, the CDC released this week its interim analysis on vaccine effectiveness. Um, and of course, we're not through the flu season yet, but these are some preliminary data that they have released. Um, and the analysis is actually for the three t- subtypes of flu virus that circulate. Um, so the, there is there are two strains, influenza A and influenza B. And within the influenza A umbrella, there is the H1N1 strain that uh, sort of gained notoriety during the um, 2009 season. And then also um, there's an H3N2 type of influenza A. Um, And so a composite analysis of the vaccine against these three subtypes shows that by far um, the, the vaccine is least effective at preventing persons from getting influenza A, H3N2. Um, The vaccine does a little bit better when it comes to influenza A, H1N1, and influenza B. Okay. And um, so, unfortunately, this year, um, as is the case in many and really most years, the H3N2 is um, the predominant circulating virus, and the vaccine appears to be least effective against that strain. Um, and fortunately, though, um, th- there does seem to be more immunity in children. Um, so that is, I guess, one silver lining because children are so susceptible to influenza infection and to and susceptible to the uh, complications that can arise from influenza infection. Certainly, um, as you alluded to, this is you know a, a, an interesting aspect of influenza vaccination. Why do some populations of individuals simply respond better and have less of a chance of flu infection after their vaccine? Probably, um, you know, immunization in children is more immunogenic. They have 
um, young, robust immune systems. They also tend to have fewer accompanying um, um, chronic illnesses. Um, persons who have chronic illnesses frequently don't respond as well to influ influenza vaccine or other vaccine. Um, so there are probably uh, factors within these age groups that mediate um, you know, how well they're responding to the vaccine. Um, let me ask you this, because when I, it's my experience in the emergency room, granted this was, you know, not a pediatric hospital, so there weren't, well, there were kids coming in, but but it it was, the people who looked the most grave were people who, I, you know, I would put into maybe the age group of like maybe the 70s, even 80s. Is that just something that, that is anecdotal from, from my few hours in the emergency room, or is that, are, are people who are older getting sicker? You're that definitely that phenomenon is definitely playing out in the statistics that are being collected. Um, so not only are um, elderly people, you know, um, more susceptible to getting sick, they're also more susceptible to um, getting complications. Um, so the the really the biggest risk groups are persons who are t age two and under, and who are age. 65 to 70 and older. Um, that's where the majority of complicated influenza requiring hospitalization, that's where those cases appear to be. And are there any areas of the country that are worse? I mean, I'm just chatting here, our producer, Jonathan Lowe, his, his mom has the flu down in Kansas City. I mean, are we here in the Twin Cities area worse or better or are some areas really bad? And, and how about just, you know, across the world? How do we kind of stack up? Yeah, so it's hard to make um, just because of the seasonal nature of flu. You alluded to uh, initially that Australia has been through its flu season, and um, and they also oh, that's right because it's there, it's it's right summer there, right? Exactly correct. Um, and so you know, looking at the the map, the statistical map of the U.S. Um, it, it's probably good to be in Hawaii right now, and, and for um, <laughs> I, I think I would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you want to avoid influenza, or, or probably for for other uh, factors as well. But um, really, the the flu virus is widespread throughout the U.S., um, and there don't appear to be pockets that are necessarily protected. Um, the CDC director. Um, had a press conference in the last week, and the same question was asked of, of her, you know, are there areas of the country that are seeing more or areas of the country that are getting a reprieve? Um, it doesn't appear that there are po protected pockets at this point. Um, the map will show widespread activity with the exception of Oregon. Now, that state um, had a little bit of a surge earlier than the rest of us. And so perhaps that's an indication that the recent plateaus that we're seeing may actually play out um, and, and lead us sort of uh, hopefully usher this flu season out. All right. Well, listen, um, doctor, if we, if you can, if you could stick around, we have to take a quick break. Uh, but I think people would like to know what they can do, A, if they're sick or if they're not sick, how to 
keep themselves from getting sick and loved ones. So uh, if we can just hang tight for just a few minutes, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more with Dr. Allison Goldis. She's an assistant professor in the Division of Infectious Diseases and in International Medicine with the University of Minnesota Medical School. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. All right, folks, we are talking about the flu with Dr. Allison Goldis from the University of Minnesota Medical School. Dr. Goldis, if somebody develops flu-like symptoms, what should they do? I mean, should they immediately go to their doctor? So most people will recover from the flu um, simply by getting enough rest, um, getting enough fluids. Um, They will certainly highly likely feel miserable during their infection, um, but won't necessarily need medical care. Um, The persons who develop complications, and again, those persons are typically in the age range of two years and less and over the age of 65. Um, Persons who develop complications are the ones that should really be seeking uh, medical guidance with their doctor. Um, And the complications that most frequently arise with uh, influenza is just simply a a very severe infection. So that would be characterized by, um, you know, feeling so lethargic or or not waking up or or interacting, having really fast or difficult breathing, um, uh, you know, having a, a sort of um, honeymoon period, if you will, after their flu season or after their flu symptoms abate, um, that's followed by another bout of febrile illness because that might represent pneumonia, a bacterial infection that would be treated differently than than influenza. Well, well let infection. me ask you this, doctor, though, because you know you hear some people saying, if I get any symptoms, I'm just going to run and and demand that I get Tamiflu. Is that the way it works, or is that does that something that's going to help, or is not going to help? I mean, is that something so that the, you recommend? The tar- yeah, the target populations for, for getting an antiviral certainly are those high-risk groups for uh, experiencing complications. Um, the okay. data about Tamiflu in other persons um, is that it, w- it may curtail the duration that they're sick um, when taken within the first two days of symptoms. Um, oh, okay. So there, there can be a benefit. Um, I think the holy grail um, in the setting of influenza treatment, though, is really vaccination and, and prevention prior to getting infected. Well, and that's, you know, and uh, I mean, both our United States senators proposed a bill that would, would increase funding uh, for the CDC and, and, and others to do research on a universal flu vaccine. Is that something that, I mean, goodness knows, you know, experts and, and scientists and researchers have been working on this for a long time. Uh, it just seems like this is a tough nut to crack. It, it definitely is. I did hear um, some encouraging news from you know the leader of the NIH saying that we might not be far away from that possibility of a universal flu vaccine, um, you know, so that we're talking about um, high rates of effectiveness um, and ideally something that might not even need to be given annually. Um, so absolutely increased funding would assist scientists in that quest for improved protection against flu. 
All right. Let me ask you this. If you haven't gotten it and your kids haven't gotten it, I mean, is it is there anything beyond the standbys of the disinfected wipes and, and telling them to wash your hands every five minutes? Does that is that really the best thing to do? It's um, it's one of the mainstays, certainly. Um, if you have not gotten flu or frankly, even if you have had flu, um, it's still recommended to um, get vaccinated if you have not been vaccinated. Um, I mentioned that there are three subtypes of the virus that predominantly circulate. Even if you've been infected with one, you can get infected, um, unfortunately, with another. So vaccination, well, the recent news headlines really kind of... Um, talk about the the decreased effectiveness of the vaccine, the vaccine might not prevent you from getting the virus, but it can definitely prevent you from getting really sick from the virus. Right. So it's still, you still should, you know, because I have not done it. And I usually I do, usually I do. And I, you, know, you see all of this, you know, all this news about the lack of effectiveness, but I, every expert, you know, that, that I've talked to and I've looked at other stories that other people have done, you know, are completely on board that that this is really something that that could still help. Definitely. And also, as you mentioned, um, you know, hand hygiene, cough etiquette, all those are are of paramount importance. And and if you do get sick, um, you know, try to try to stay home. I I certainly can understand the pressures of being in the workplace or, um, you know, having the challenge of having an ill child and, and, um, you know, taking a day off work in order to stay home with them so that they don't go to school. Um, but it really is critical that, that each of us who are sick play our part and, and try to reduce the spread of illness. And then those of us who have the good fortune of staying well, you know, respect the fact that some of our colleagues might be out um, and they're just doing their part to reduce the spread of, of this influenza uh, virus this season. Right. And has, has the medical school been hit with it too? You know, I haven't heard of outbreaks within um, the medical school or the medical campus that are out of proportion to um, that's what's going on in, in other communities. Um, fortunately, you know, our, our, the I haven't heard of issues with critical capacity at hospitals. Um, hospitals, frankly, are, are all they're well prepared to go into a surge capacity mode should the need arise during respiratory season. Fortunately, I haven't heard of that arising, um, but, you know, um, and, and as I alluded to earlier, hopefully we've reached a plateau, but if not, we can certainly, um, you know, brace for, for ongoing activity. All right. Well, Dr. Galdas, thank you so much. We really appreciate the information and the update on what has been a really tough flu season uh, that has affected so many people. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good to be with you. All right. It's tough. I, uh, gosh, I haven't gotten it yet. And, and then I also feel guilty because, you know, I o- nearly always make my kids get it. It's the one year I haven't. So, so far they haven't. So I'm going, uh, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough one. But uh, try and stay well, folks. Uh, it's so important. All right, folks, uh, we're going to have to take a break pretty soon for some news, both uh, national and local. Uh, And then coming up, we're going to talk in the 7 o'clock hour uh, about a new study that says more and more young people, teens and children even, are identifying as transgender. We're going to mention that and discuss that with an expert that's coming up on News Radio 830 
WCCO. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.